Hi, and welcome to a Dad's Path podcast. We're real dads solving everyday problems. Each week we tackle issues that dads everywhere face and deliver actions you can take right away. Subscribe so you don't miss an episode and go to adadspath.com to get our free newsletter exclusively for dads. Our goal is to help you make fatherhood count. Dad on. Welcome to another episode of a Dad's Path podcast. I'm Will Bronstein. Today we're here with Homera Kabir. She's a renowned life coach. She's got a dual master's degree in coaching and positive psychology. And she's a mom of four. She has a new book called Goodbye Perfect, which details an easily digestible framework for building confidence from within, which is super important, as we know, so we can stop pleasing others, live for ourselves, and teach our children to do the same. So important. Welcome, Homera. Thank you. Thanks Will. for joining us. Thank you, Will. It is so nice to be here. Uh, truly, parenting is a topic that's very, very close to my heart, and I'm so glad we're going to be talking about this. And especially, I do want to say that I love the work that you are doing because. Uh, because just by being more involved as a dad in a child's caregiving, you you not only get to develop uh, your more nurturing aspects and thus actualize your full potential as an individual, but also empower the women in your lives to do the same because they are not now 100% raising kids or, you know, set an example for your kids and just give them the example of what self-actualizing individuals individuals look like and move past those that gender socialization that we've grown up with for ages so that's a wonderful thing it's really wonderful work that you're doing and i love the conversation that we're going to have really looking forward to it yeah no thank you looking forward to it as well and um you're right i mean just as uh society shifts as times change uh you know traditional roles aren't aren't the same we have a lot more stay-at-home dads we have a lot more uh, again just shifting and that's great uh, but there's also changes that happen, right? And really a big core of our conversation is about confidence, right? Yes. About how you can be confident, how you can feel good about yourself. Yes. So you can, again, you know, transfer that to your kids. You know, you can't, um, you can't, you can't fake it or maybe you can a little bit, but if you, if you don't really have it, <laughs> you know, the, the goal is to be, um, to be strong and, and confident and, there's a lot of, you know, what definitions on what confidence means yeah. and, and whatnot. So I'm going to want you to, to, uh, to, to bounce there. But first, uh, I want to hear your story a little bit, right? Because your confidence was shaken in, as a kid. And that's, you know, as another area that we know is a big issue is when kids have a traumatic or, a, you know, a big experience happen, yeah. it really can impact them. Yeah. So I'd love to hear kind of your childhood, um, you know, trauma or, or experience and then how that, you know, got you here to, to writing this book. <laughs> okay, yeah, no, I would love to talk about it simply because I also want to normalize the fact that, you know, almost all of us go through different things in our lives. It does not have to be big, big T trauma in any way. I grew up with, in a very loving home, I uh, with very loving parents. And it is what I'm trying to explain through the book is that most of us carry implicit deep-seated 
beliefs inside of ourselves that may not be that optimal because of, you know, small T trauma, little things here and there, little criticisms, little parents saying something to us or the other. Some of us may be more sensitive than others and we may take it strongly. And, and because of that, our confidence becomes dependent on external validation. It can become dependent on approval. It can become dependent on success, on praise, on these days, social media likes and this, that, and the other, given so much of our world is also lived virtually now. And when that happens and that external feedback stops coming in, it stops being that positive, our confidence can spiral downward. So for me personally, my confidence was very much dependent on my academic success, which tends to happen for a lot of kids now. It's not even what our parents tell us. It is what society tells us. It's what school tells us. It's what what teachers tell us. It's the company that we keep other kids around us. And 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 that can start making us feel that this is extremely important. And when that stops happening, when that success stops happening, so for example, for me, we moved to Senegal and it was a French-speaking country and I didn't speak a word of French at the time. And so my grades dropped. I couldn't make friends, so I didn't have that social support, et cetera, et cetera. And because my confidence was dependent on my success and dependent on people liking me, I my confidence spiraled downward. And how, uh, Sorry, uh, Homer, how old were you when you moved? I was uh, 13. Okay. Yeah. And that was 13 a generation ago, Will. So that 13 <laughs> was a very innocent 13. Now I would say it was eight, eight or nine in terms yeah. of this generation. Wow. And, um, and yeah, so very young. That was also a time when phones didn't exist. So it was really a very lonely time for me in that sense not doing well, not having that that praise that I needed from school to make me feel confident. And suddenly, without even realizing it, I turned to my body to feel uh, confident about myself. At least this was something I could control and started dieting. Even then, even at 13, I didn't even realize what I was doing. When I think back now, I didn't even know what I was doing. It was never something that had been important to me, but the girls around me would talk about it a lot. And yeah, and I guess I had some form of, because not, because there's enough research to show that eating disorders also have a genetic component, and some some switch was turned on, and, and that led me down a, a very tough period in my life where I struggled with an eating disorder for many years. But the point I'm trying to establish here through telling this story is that when our confidence is dependent on some area of our lives, and for most of us it is, it could be dependent on approval, on praise, on success, on the way we look, um, then when that, when that success stops coming in, we scramble. We either go down the spiral of shame or blame or whatever, or we try and look for other sources to feel good about ourselves. Yeah, no, that's... Um... Thank you for sharing that story and that example. You know, uh, you know, as you said, there's a lot of different types of trauma, and it can you know impact us in different ways. Uh, but at the end of the day, if your validation is coming externally, yeah. when it goes away, which it will, because nothing you know exactly. is persistent. Exactly. Um, you know, it's not lasting, and especially when you have kids, that's not that's not optimal. You can't you know be a great a great no, parent. You can't. So. 
Exactly, exactly. And that confidence is just a very deep belief inside of ourselves. It's an implicit feeling, which is why uh, it is so important that the, that we have done our inner work when we are around kids, because if we feel good about who we are as a person, and if we feel deep down that we have what it takes, whatever comes our way to deal with it, then we are able to show up without, you know, being so excitable about little things or trying to control other kids, kids especially, because that's, it's a hierarchical structure, right? Parent, kid. And so this is one place where we somehow try to control, even if we don't want to. Totally right. And um, we've talked, we talk about that a lot with uh, our kids and how we parent and how, when it becomes that power dynamic is when things fall apart. You know, it's, that's not healthy for anyone. No, uh, no, exactly, you know. exactly. And then there's also that side of us that feels, you know, I'm the parent. I know what is right for them. They don't know. They're still too young, et cetera, et cetera. So it becomes this confusing place where you're you're trying to tell them the right thing. But at the same time, are you, are you, uh, you know, trampling on their sense of confidence or what they yeah. think is right for them? Well, Interesting. Yeah, no, that's right. You can't. Um, at some age, you start directing them, yes, yes, <laughs> um, and and forcing them is is not helpful. But you know, going the other direction, if we want to end up with having that strong confidence, that real confidence, optimal confidence, I think you call it. What are some steps you take? You know, do you have to unpack sort of trauma in the past? Or I know that's a very broad question, and mm. confidence is sort of a. A yeah. big term. What would you recommend to someone, you know, or a new dad, maybe, or someone who's going to be a dad who has has a couple yeah. kids? Not, yeah. You want to talk about confidence in that context, maybe? Yeah. Well, no, that's a wonderful question. Um, I would say build self awareness. I mean, you know, again, uh, like I said, the word tra- there, the word trauma. The way we tend to understand trauma is we generally think of it as big T trauma, but most of us just grow up in regular homes, right? We get praised when we do good things. We get told off when we do wrong things. I mean, especially when we were growing up, there was less of a sense of awareness around that. These days, parents are far more conscientious in the way they raise their kids. And so that is just little scars that we get all through. And they together can make us just feel that, okay, I need to do this because it will make my caregivers happy. Little kids are really dependent on their caregivers, uh, love and approval, right? They are. And so just these little things can become, can just stay with us. They've stayed with us. They may stay with our kids. And so it is always really important to build that self-awareness. Where does this come from? Which is why when I talk about attachment style, I talk about connecting to it from a distance, understand what the different attachment styles are, Understand what are the beliefs that form as a result and the behaviors that follow so that when you find yourself engaging in any of those behaviors, you can say, ah, these are the beliefs that I'm thinking of because of such and such a thing. And that's it. It's not about blaming. It's not about saying, oh, you know, I I suffered through this huge trauma and so I, I am justified in behaving that way. Like Anthony uh, DeMello said, what you're aware of, you're in control of. And so we we have that safe distance of saying, okay, now I know why I'm behaving this way. And so this is what I can do about it. So self-awareness is the biggest thing. It all begins with that self-awareness. 
understand attachment styles, understand how they play out in our lives, understand what are the stories that result. And then you have the power to actually create the distance and say, but this is, you know, this made sense then, but it's not making sense now. This isn't who I am anymore. Yeah. yeah right. Can you talk um, about attachment styles a little bit? Oh, for, yeah. For my audience? Yep. Yep. Attachment styles, this began with the research that Joel, John Bowlby did on beast monkeys, but it was really uh, Mary Ainsworth who took the work into human beings and toddlers. And she ran a series of experiments where she managed to classify attachment style in, into these four styles, one of which is secure, and all the other three are insecure. Uh, and so secure attachment is where your caregivers are emotionally, the, the, the important word is emotionally, emotionally present, attuned, and willing to give you what you need. And insecure attachment styles are when it is, you know, one or more of those are missing. And of the three insecure attachment styles, one is traumatic. So it is it's called disorganized. And that is the one where you've actually you know, suffered some form of abuse, trauma, etc. The other two are, you know, again, like I said, those little small, mostly those small T traumas, you received some love, you received some criticism, you received something, you got some joy, some uh, sorrow, some just the just the mixed bag of what life is, and what results is either one of avoidant attachment or anxious attachment. Avoidant attachment is where your caregivers are just emotionally disconnected with you. You feel a sense of you know being alone, having to manage things alone, being that people don't understand your emotions. Whereas in anxious attachment, it's mostly where caregivers are emotionally a little bit high and low. They could approve of certain things, disapprove of others. You don't really you you not always certain how they will respond to what you're saying but again these are very uh these are these are like you know it's not really mutually exclusive like that when we grow up and especially now you know your what the work that you do a dad's path when these attachment styles were formed it was mainly just one caregiving figure that we had the mother but now we have dads we have grandparents we have the influence of society of, you know, these iPads that little kids carry all the time. Now there is so much coming at us that uh, even caregiving alone is not just responsible for attachment styles. Anything that stays in our implicit world is what leads to confidence or doesn't lead to confidence. And now there is so much influence on our implicit world from all areas of life. And even as we go through life, we could have a toxic relationship later on. We could experience a trauma later on in life. The point is that confidence lives in your implicit world and attachment styles also live in your implicit world. And they are the very first experience that you have with that implicit part of your world and that stays with you for a long time. Yeah, thank you. And and just for my own, you know, definition, when we say explicit, we're meaning it's coming from externally and implicit means it's coming internally. Is that? Yes. Yes. <laughs> so yeah, your implicit world is what us. So confidence, implicit confidence is a sense of trust that you have. It's not in your head. You're not saying, oh, I'm a good person. You know, it's like a sense of trust that you have that I'm a good person. Even if you make mistakes, even if you hurt somebody, you don't go down in a spiral of shame and disgust and self-loathing because, you know, you have the sense of trust that I'm a good person and I need to go and apologize kind of thing. Whereas 
explicit is what you say in your head. And so when there's a gap between implicit and explicit, so explicit could be you telling me, hey, Humaira, you're a good person. That's explicit. Then in my head, I would say, oh, Will said I'm a good person. But is, do I have that sense of trust deep inside? And when you don't, when there's a gap between the two, that's, that's the world of fragile confidence. Understood. Thank you very much. That's a great explanation. And um, I loved how you talked about starting with self-awareness to build the confidence, you know, look at who you are, look at what you've experienced and et cetera. And, uh, you know, in, in your book, you go from that, from, you know, understanding sort of fragile confidence to building a sense of belonging, which is a really interesting, to me, sort of connection between, you know, the connection between confidence and belonging and how they're related. Yeah. Can you talk about that a little bit and what that process looks like? Yeah. So optimal confidence is made up of, well, there's two main components in it, which is belonging and which is mastery. And belonging is a prerequisite to mastery. Unless we have a sense of belonging, we cannot step out into the world and do what we feel intrinsically motivated to do because you keep fearing criticism, you keep fearing disapproval. So unless you have a very deep sense of belonging that I'm a good person, that I've got people who support me, so basically being connected with your own power, your own potential, and that you have people in your life who you can turn to even if things don't go your way, you cannot step out uh, uh, you cannot step out and pursue goals that feel meaningful to you, right? You'll always doubt yourself. You'll always feel, oh, this strength is not, I shouldn't really be pursuing this goal. What will so-and-so say? What will dad say? What will society say? What will people think, etc." And so that sense of belonging, again, has both those components. It has the intrinsic, deep-down component. It has the extrinsic, outside-in component. And so the deep-down inside is a sense of self-worth, and the outside-in is... Trust relationships of trust, relationships of give and take, where you feel equal in a relationship. That makes a, a lot of sense. And, you know, I wonder as, you know, what you've seen as for new parents, right? Because I know a lot of dads, what um, we've gone through is being really excited about having kids, being excited when we have the kids, but definitely having moments where it's, you know, not feeling quite like we're belonging as we were, you know, at times like we're literally not needed, like baby needs mommy, like you know, and, um, and, and also where we get redefined, you know, whether we become a stay at home dad or whether go from, you know, the tough alpha male to wait, I'm raising a little daughter now, or I'm, you know, how am I going to show empathy or how, you know, like, so we, I, you know, I think there's some, some changes that happen where you might've felt like you were belonging and maybe, that change. Have you, have you seen that with new parents or can you talk about how you would? Yeah. What a wonderful question because, um, belonging, what you're talking a lot about is that explicit sense of belonging, belonging out in the, in the world, the real belong where belonging begins is internal belonging, belonging to yourself. So having a deep sense of self-worth, knowing that you're worthy of love, care, forgiveness, respect, all the rest of it, of being here, of being in this home where dad is not needed, regardless of whether you need it or not, right? So being able to relate to yourself in that way, that your 
confidence or your worth or your value doesn't come from how much your child or your uh, partner or whoever needs you in this moment. And so that sense of self-worth comes a lot from actually recognizing our own inner self-talk. Because if you think about it, well, in most times when we're feeling unhappy, out of place, not belonging, there, there is chatter going on in our heads. Right. There is chatter that's saying something like, well, you know, nobody needs me now or whatever it is, you know, for for uh, everyone. It could be slightly different depending on their own experiences. But most of us have had experiences growing up of not having felt extremely belonged. And so it brings up those ghosts of the past. It brings up those feelings and they can come on very strongly. And that is where we need self-compassion. That's where we need, you know, just to say, oh yeah, this is what I'm feeling right now. And yeah, the feeling's okay. Every feeling's okay. It's saying something to me. And is it valid? Is it not valid? Do I need to act on it? Do I need to do something about it? Maybe you need to go and check with your partner, honey, let me know if you need me. Otherwise, I'm just out watching the soccer game or something, right. you know, <laughs> that kind of thing. But but instead of, you know, just saying, you know, when, once you do that, when you create that space between what you're feeling and how you're going to respond, that's where you can really think of the best response in the moment. Perfect. I mean, in, uh, because one area that, that, you know, with self-compassion, I think can be a challenge is, you know, as a parent, you'll sometimes act in ways you're not proud of. You know, we've had a lot of, we had a dad about talking about anger and said, I was never an angry, you know, never, I'm like the most chill guy. No one would call me angry in the world, but my kid can push my buttons and he thinks I'm in it, you know, like, (laughs) so you're, you react in ways, obviously, uh, I think all of us have in ways we're not proud of. And part of, of what you're saying is you need to have some compassion for yourself and say, Hey, that, you know, feel, feel bad enough that you don't, you're not gonna do it again, Yeah. but don't beat yourself up. It happens and and move forward. I mean, is that sort of the message? Exactly. Exactly. Because self-compassion, you know, I think where dads may struggle is also this whole idea of self-compassion. It's seen as weak. And again, you know, gender socialization, it just, plays out in so many ways. It may feel weak. Oh, I'm being soft and kind to myself. But self-compassion actually leads to courage. Self-compassion, it's an emotion, right? So when we can deal with our, you are feeling the emotion, right? You're already feeling it. There's no denying it. You know you're feeling it. When you speak to your emotion with an emotion, that is self-compassion. Being able to recognize the emotion and be with it without judging or criticizing yourself, whether you're feeling shame, whether you're feeling whatever you're feeling in that moment because you didn't behave in a way you feel proud. When you can be with that for however long it takes, then, and and not allow that chatter to speak. So every time your mind says something like, oh, that was so stupid, what a stupid, whatever you, you know, we all say things to ourselves, just say, it's okay, it's okay. And just keep coming back to, it's okay. You know, I'm human. And then once you do that, That is what leads to perspective. So from that emotion, we get to perspective. We get to the thought. The emotion always comes before the thought. And from that thought, we lead it it takes us to pro-social behaviors. So if you can be with yourself in compassion, you will be able to see the full picture. You will be able to see, yes, today I lost it and I said a couple a few very nasty things. But in general, I am that dad who also plays soccer with them, who sits with them and reads bedtime 
stories to them, etc. So place it in the wider perspective and then say, okay, what am I going to do now? What is important now? And that is always pro-social when we begin from a place of self-compassion. It is always empathetic. It is always clear. It is always kind. It is always the right thing to do that is based on our values. So it is always courageous because it's never easy. It's never easy to go and say to your child, honey, dad was a little bit whatever. But, you know, because again, I think for me personally, that also comes with a lot of fear around, oh, if they're going to see me constantly apologizing, does that, does that mean that they'll lose respect or does that, does that mean they'll think I don't have my act together and stuff like that, right? But repair is the most important thing when we're, when we're raising kids. Are we able to repair in the right way? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I mean, because that model's for your kids, how to do that, right? And, uh, that, and also, and also reminds them that, you know, we're not perfect, we're human beings. Right. <laughs> uh, but speaking of not being perfect, so you're saying, um, I, I like that, you know, confidence comes, that real confidence comes from first getting the sense of belonging. And then the second part is a sense of mastery, right? And I think that comes with living with purpose, living with courage is how you, you define it. Yeah. Uh, and I love that sort of transition or that flow. Can you talk um, a little bit about that, that aspect? You know, you're, you're self-aware, you're feeling, you're, you're belonging, you're feeling good. Now you, yeah, how, yeah, do you yeah. how do you rev it up? So you're living life at, a, at an 11. Yes. So again, since we're talking about parenting and kids, when, when we relate to our children, very young kids, right? So from the time, and like you said, you've got listeners who are dads to be, et cetera, et cetera. And even if we're already, we've made enough mistakes as parents, it doesn't matter. Again, that repair, it, children are very resilient, right? So, uh, so when you relate to them with that unconditional love, they develop that sense of belonging because kids relate, learn to relate to themselves the way we relate to them, right? So when we provide them with that unconditional love, that's how they relate to themselves. From that place, they can open up in their relationships. So if we begin with that self-love, self-compassion, then we go on to developing trusting relationships that feed back into that sense of self-worth because when we have trusting relationships, we are there for other people and that automatically makes us feel good about ourselves. It's how we human beings are wired, right? So if, when you do a good act for somebody else, you do feel good about yourself. That again, creates those nice feedback loops of belonging. When you have that, then you're able to step out. So a kid who feels really secure in their homes is able to step out, is able to kind of experiment with different things because they know that, you know, mom or dad won't come down hard on them and say, why on earth are you trying to do art when you should be doing piano or whatever, right? So they are, they are okay with that because they know, okay, even if, you know, yeah, maybe I need to do my homework before I get to do this, but it's not like my inherent talents, my gifts are somehow going to be tamped down. And so when they know what they really like, when they can experiment with that, then they can be courageous in their pursuits. Because if you're trying to do things that that are not something that you deeply value, it is very difficult to be courageous in them because now you're afraid of failure. If your child is doing piano simply because dad wants him to do piano or her to play the piano, then she's going to be really afraid to take risks because what if it didn't go well, then dad would be so disappointed or he'd be so upset or whatever. 
So our job as parents is to be so keenly aware of, you know, their strengths, their gifts, what brings them alive, to notice when their eyes, eyes light up, what really what they really enjoy, and to be able to provide opportunities for them to explore those. Um, now there's this, have you heard of the poet Khalil Gibran, the Lebanese poet, and his poem on children? I, I'm not sure if I know that poem, but I know the poet, yeah. Yeah, and uh, he, he this poem is just so beautiful. It's called On Children, and uh, it's about how do you raise your children. And there's this little verse that I would repeat right now, and it says, you are the bows from which your children as living arrows are sent forth. And that our job is to literally bend as bows, because the farther we bend, the farther they, the more we bend, the farther they will go. Right. So they have everything inside of them. They they can be guided by their joy. And so our job as parents is to notice that, and then to provide the conditions for it to actualize, for it to come forward into the world. That's a beautiful. I'm I'm gonna link to uh, the poem in, yes, in our show notes. Yes, please do. It's a beautiful poem. I go yeah, back to no, it even agree. now that my kids are over 20, I go back to it so many times. You know, now that they're deciding what to study in college, what not to study, let them follow their joy with some pragmatism, obviously, but still follow the joy. Right. And maybe that's the topic I want to kind of end on is, you know, you mentioned unconditional love, which uh, we have, we need to have, and more importantly, we need to show, or not more yeah. importantly, but we need to um, communicate that. What's the balance between showing that sort of, uh, you know, unconditional love, but also, you know, sometimes getting mad, you know, or, or trying to direct your child in a different direction than they're going and they're resisting. And so there's that push pull. I mean, in terms of language you use, in terms of how you emotionally connect, can we, yeah. can we talk about that for a second before I let you go? Yeah. Yeah. No, no, no. That is also wonderful because yeah, I mean, we are parents for a reason, right? We need to guide them as well. Um, so, uh, you know, the thing is, we have to help them see what they really, so we have to help them shift from that present moment into the consequences. So shift from what they really need, right? Because their mind is very impulsive right now. It can only really think about the moment. The younger they are, they don't have that capacity to be able to project themselves into the future and think about that. So the more we help them do that, the uh, the easier for, for them to be able to do it for themselves. So honey, what would be the consequences of this action? Is this what you would want five years from now? Is this what you would want three months from now? Whatever it is, however old they are, we, we tailor the language to that. Or, you know, help them see how the consequences of their actions have upset another person. Honey, you did this. You didn't let your friend play with your toys. So there's no judgment around that. It's simply, how do you think that would have made your friend feel? How would you feel if you go to their house and you don't do that? So without judgment, without judgment, that is the most important thing. That is what we have to provide them with, that unconditional love and non-judgment. And But that doesn't mean allowing everything. It just means help them see the consequences of their actions, the broader consequences in terms of, you know, farther on in life, in terms of wider, so both in length and in breadth. How would others have felt around it? So widen their perspective, lengthen their perspective. What is the impact of this, you know, 
next so if they really want pizza right now and you don't want to serve them pizza right now how would it feel tomorrow how would it feel tomorrow to have that pizza or how would it feel if you did this and got it as a reward etc so lengthening their perspective i like that and um with with parents a big challenge that we find or that i find and that, that we hear about is is the pause you know like you're saying kids are impulsive and so they want to do something and you just say no, and you can get into this like very quick yeah. situation where they can't listen. Like yeah. they're not, they're angry, they're mad, yeah. whatever's going through their heads. Like they, they can't hear you no matter what. Yeah. So you, you know, that's a really important step. I think that a lot of parents somewhat know about, but even knowing about it, it's hard to, to actually do it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, to, to do that. And pause you know, that's and why I always come back to self-compassion, Will, because it is so, because in that moment, they're riling us up, right? Our emotions are going through the roof. How can we be there for anybody when we are feeling that way? So first of all, self-compassion, just say, it's hard, Will. I know this is hard, but it's okay. Like, you know, you got what it takes. Whatever it is you need, you just acknowledge at least to yourself that this is hard. And then you can open up in empathy. You can say, honey, this is hard. Don't tell them what to do in that moment when they're having that emotional meltdown. I think we've all learned that as parents, right? Uh, they aren't listening. They can't see. They've lost their cognitive capacities if if they have if they're old enough to have them anyway. And so you can just be with them. I remember my youngest when she was little. She would howl over the littlest thing, and often all I had to do is just hug her, just hug her without even trying to understand what happened, whose fault was it, nothing. Just keep hugging her, and usually she would figure out what to do. Because kids know, you know, kids have empathy, kids have all these things because nobody has really, the world hasn't really told them enough that this is wrong, this is what you shouldn't do, you should be more, you know, whatever, judgmental or whatever. They're too young to know all of that. They have the most beautiful qualities inside them. And so the more we can be compassionate with ourselves, the more we can be compassionate around them, and the more we can allow them to access their own wisdom and show up with that wisdom, courage, everything that they already possess, as do we. That's perfect. And and just, um, and you show your unconditional love. Right. Unconditional love. Unconditional love, like Carl Rogers said, unconditional love and positive regard. So that unconditional love and positive regard, meaning we hold their gifts in, you know, like, like again, that poem, be the bow that bends down to their arrows. So that's unconditional, uh, that's positive regard for whatever they bring. This is what they love to do. Give them opportunities to do that, to explore that. And if you find yourself judging it or feeling afraid that, you know, they're going after these things, then, then build awareness around where does that fear come from? Why am I afraid around this, et cetera, et cetera. Awareness. Yeah. I love that. Mm-hmm. Amara, thank you so much for joining us. This was terrific. Uh, highly recommend your new book, Goodbye Perfect. Um, we barely scratched the surface on this conversation, on this conversation, and go a lot more in depth and um, a lot of lessons for uh, for parents, for non-parents too, but mostly parents listening right now. So, again, thank you for joining us, and um, hope to see you soon. Well, this was a true pleasure. Thank you so much. And like I said, I love the work you do. Oh, thank you so much. Take care. If you liked our podcast, please subscribe and leave us a review. If you haven't joined us yet, go to adadspath.com to get our free newsletter exclusively for dads. 
And do you know a friend who might like this podcast? Send it on. We want to help as many dads as possible make fatherhood count. Dad on. Oh, <laughs>